We're going to be in the book of Matthew this morning, chapters, chapter 25, verses 14 through 30. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He would receive the five talents, went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled the accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents here. I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also who had the two talents came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also, who had received the one talent, came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed? Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. For everyone who has will more be given and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness in that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. All right, you still in Matthew 25? In your uh, copy of the scripture, we'll be looking at the parable of the talents this morning. I don't know if you've ever done any baking I've done a little baking. I'm not terribly good at it. But if you're baking biscuits or muffins, you can leave out one ingredient and basically ruin them, and that is baking powder. Have you ever done that, made biscuits or muffins, and realized you failed to put in the quarter teaspoon of baking powder? It's always some really minuscule amount that's required. And then the biscuits come out, and you can't wait to pour on that sausage uh, gravy. You hungry? Yeah, sausage. Yeah. Gravy and biscuit, biscuits and gravy. And then you realize your biscuits have the texture of hockey pucks. Or you or you are looking in the as the muffins are cooking and you're peeking in the oven and, and they're supposed to be growing up over the tops and and they're, and they're not growing. Oh, that's interesting. And then you take them out and you realize they taste like muffins, they look like muffins, but they, they feel like sponges and they're inedible. So that Baking powder is a fundamental part of what you got to You got to have a, a rising agent, something to get it going, and it's a fundamental element of the baking process for many things. 
there's a fundamental element of knowing the Lord and walking with Him that many of us want to leave out. But to leave it out, we, we miss out on the whole project. And the whole this fundamental element we're going to talk about in this parable, we also talked about in the parable of the ten virgins. And it is this. It is the parable of the waiting. The 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 element of the delay. Look down at verse 19 real quick in Matthew 25. We'll, we'll get back to the beginning of the parable in a minute. Verse 19. Now, after a... How long? Long time. In the parable of the virgins, which is just, the, just above this parable in your copy of the scripture in Matthew 25, it indicates that the ten virgins waited for the bridegroom and he was long delayed. And what we learn from these two parables together is that a fundamental element of knowing the Lord and walking with him in uh, salvation and in growing in him in the kingdom is the wait. It is the delay. And that's what this is about. It's the waiting. And what do we do with the waiting? In the parable of the ten virgins, the lesson was basically this. There is a delay and you need to be ready. Now, this parable follows right up after it, and it says, well, what do you do with all that time? What is it that we're supposed to be doing in the waiting? And here is the answer, kingdom work. In the wait, we're doing kingdom work. I'm going to give you the entire sermon to start. That way you can decide if you want to stay. This parable is not terribly complicated. The ideas are not earth-shattering. I might even suggest you're not going to learn anything new but maybe be reminded of things you already know. The kingdom work, number one, is an act of faith. Kingdom work is an act of faith. And number two, kingdom work is rewarded. Kingdom work is an act of faith, and kingdom work is rewarded. There's the whole thing. Now let's get into it. There was a particular master, and he was going on a long journey, and he called his servants to them, called three of them to himself. And he gave them his property. He gave them some money. To one he gave five talents. To another he gave two talents. And to another he gave one talent. And he was delayed a long time. How long is a long time? A long time means a a delay, a normal delay. I'm going to be gone ten minutes and they're gone ten minutes. Being gone a long time is saying I'm going to be gone ten minutes, but they're gone twenty minutes. It's because there's a, a long delay. And so there's gone longer than expected. He gives them the money. And the idea here is he gives the servants his own money. And, and, and they're to generate a return on his money. And so to one, he gave five talents. And he put the money to work. We don't know what he did with the money. Certainly, he might have bought some property. He might have bought a vineyard. He might have bought a brewery. I, I don't know why I'm talking about wine and beer. <laughs> must, almost, must be about lunchtime, I guess. I don't know. Uh, He might have bought uh, an inn. He might have bought uh, a stable where he could raise uh, uh, farm animals to be let out, uh, to be hired out. Uh, He might have bought uh, lots of different things. But the idea is whatever he put the money to work, it came back to him and he had a return. In fact, he made a significant return over the course of whatever the time was. He made a 100% return. He got five talents back. The other worker was given two talents, and he, in the same way, he earned back the same rate of return, although a lower profit. He only made two talents, whereas the other guy made five. The third one, for whatever reason, we'll look at it more closely toward the end of the message, he was a little bit concerned about the, the master himself, and so instead of taking a risk with the money, he buried the money in the ground for uh, allegedly safekeeping. 
So what, is, what this is, what, what we want to look at in terms of the work of this is these guys are exercising faith. There's two ways that these workers are exercising faith. Number one, they're exercising faith that the master is in fact going to return. And they're also exercising faith that the master will reward them according to what they have uh, done. So kingdom work is an act uh, of faith. Let me point one thing out that we need to think about as we're thinking uh, in terms of what it means uh, to serve the kingdom. Kingdom work is not pay for play. Kingdom work here is not uh, wages earned. Uh, whose money were they given? They were given the master's money. And when the master returned, what did they do with the money? They gave it back to him. Remember the first servant later on, he says, look, master, here's your money. I've made five, I've made five more. Now, later on, we're going to discover the money was actually given back to the servants. But these aren't wages. They were acting as stewards, as investors. So their goal here is to make a return on the master's money. Why would they do that? Because they're faithful servants. They want to please their master, and they want to serve their master. And this is different than working uh, for a wage. A wage earner would say, I work an hour. I'm owed a certain amount of money. This work is a work of trust, where he says, I'm going to work to do the master's things with uh, the master's kinds of things, with the master's stuff, knowing he's returning, and I hope when he returns that he will find me doing his stuff with his stuff. This is a, I trust what kind of a person my master is, and so I'm going to serve in, in his ways. But this isn't a person who's earning their keep. In Leviticus 19.13, which I know you've committed to memory, but I'll remind you of it nonetheless. It says, uh, the person who hires a worker should not hold his pay overnight. Uh, So this principle here is uh, you would hire a worker to work your field, maybe during harvest or during pruning season or when you're preparing to sow the fields. And when you hired a day worker, you would pay them at the end of the day. And the rule was you didn't hold the money overnight. You gave them their money because they needed it by their evening meal. Nowadays, we have different pay schedules. Some of us maybe get paid every Friday. Other of us get paid maybe twice a month. Maybe every other Friday, or you get paid on the 1st and the 15th. Or Some of us may get paid once a month, which I could never handle. I would spend it all the second day of the month, and now I've got the whole month ago, right? So we get different schedules. So the way a worker works is when you get your money, whose money is that? It's my money. It's your money. Why is it your money? Because you earned it. I worked hard, I put the time in, and this is my money. That's not what these guys are doing. These guys aren't earning a wage. They are serving a master for his pleasure. They are serving a master with his things. And this is a fundamental element of the kingdom of God. We are not earning our way. This is a work of worship and acknowledging the goodness of the master uh, we're serving. Why is this important? Because if God gave us what we deserved, we would receive nothing. If God gave us what we ought to have had, we would receive one wage alone. The Bible tells us the wage we deserve is separation from God forever, and that's called death. Every single person has rebelled against God. Every single person has told God, take a hike. Every single one of us, in our hearts, we wish we were in charge. And and the result of that is separation relationally and physically and spiritually from God himself. And he is the one who created us, so he's the source of our life. And the Bible says the only way for us to be restored to God is for the penalty of that separation to be paid. We can't afford it. 
We can't afford to be separated from God forever because we're dead in that situation. So what God does is he himself, Jesus, comes and dies for us on the cross. So Jesus dies on the cross so that way our rebellion is covered. It's paid for. He dies on the cross and then he raises from the dead. And when we put our faith in Christ, we're saying, I need your forgiveness and I need your life. When you put your faith in Jesus for salvation, how righteous are you in that moment? You are as righteous as Jesus is. How righteous is Jesus? So righteous that when he showed his righteousness to his disciples on the Mount of Transfiguration, they could hardly bear to look at him. He is so righteous and holy, you couldn't bear to see him if he stood in our midst. And what we learn from the Bible is when we put our faith in Christ for forgiveness, that righteousness becomes ours because by faith we're in Christ. Do we deserve that righteousness? Do we deserve that life? Absolutely not. So we can thank the Lord that this is not a kingdom of earning. This is not a kingdom of wage earning. Because if we received what we earned, we would receive judgment. Instead, the Bible says, by faith, we can receive what we have not earned. We receive forgiveness and righteousness. Of course, if you've never done anything wrong, that's not good news. But there's a few of us, I won't say who, that's really good news. Because you've done some stuff you really, really regret. And to find out that God forgives it all because he's just that gracious and just that merciful is really good news. And so then the question is, you put your faith in Christ for forgiveness, you receive his righteousness, you receive eternal life in Christ, and then you say, well, now what? Now what do we do? John 10, 10 says this, and in this one you might have memorized, but I'm going to read it nonetheless. Jesus says this, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I came that they may have life and they might have it abundantly. Not only just life, but abundant life. And what he says is, I want to give you the opportunity to have the most abundant life possible. And the way to do that is to be a good steward, a good servant in the waiting. He said, well, I wish when I got saved, I just went straight to heaven. What we discover is he's actually more gracious than that. He says, no, no, no. If I allow you in the waiting to serve faithfully, you will have life even more abundantly when that time comes. So this is an act of grace. Jesus waits that we may experience by good stewardship and good faithfulness and good service uh, that life more abundantly. I'm just saying how to say this so I offend the most people possible. I mean, how to not offend anybody. Um, it's very popular in modern American churchianity to really want to earn God's favor in that abundant life. And we do this a number of ways. If we, if we do good things, then God's going to be good to us. If I buy coffee in the Starbucks drive-thru for the person in the car behind me, I won't get cancer. Right? Does this make any sense whatsoever? What do we call this? What do we call that? We call this karma. Anybody heard this nowadays? I got to do, do good stuff, and, and that way I'm going to get good vibes from the universe, whatever in the world that means. So if I do good things, I'm going to get good things back. 
That's, that's not what this abundant life is about. This isn't, I want to earn my good luck charm. This is, I'm an heir to the kingdom of heaven. And what does it look like to live as a son or daughter of the king in the waiting? What does it look like to be a part of that abundant life as an act of faith, of trust, that one day I will see the king and all of the work that he has seen fit to do through me will be revealed in glory to him. We're serving the king who is returning, not so that we have a good day tomorrow, not so our car doesn't break down, not so that we get a raise at work. We're serving the king because he's a good enough king to serve forever. And one day he's returning. How should we serve the king? Psalm 32, 8. If you want to turn there, you can. If you don't want to turn there, it's fine. I'm not judging. A couple of people in here, though, are. I won't tell you who. Psalm 32, 8. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Okay, stop there. The psalmist has just said, I am going to tell you what it looks like to walk in relationship with God. And I want to give you some good advice on how to do that. Let me instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye on you. So somebody's just said, I, I, I know what it looks like to walk with God, and I know what it's like to be faithful to serve the king in the waiting, and I want to tell you what that looks like. Anybody want to hear what, it, what it's all about? Are you ready? I can't tell. I'm going to tell you anyway. Be not like a horse or a mule. That's nice, okay? Don't be a mule. Let me give you some instructions on how you should go. Don't be like a horse or a mule who has no understanding, which have to be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. All of you have worked with, at some point, maybe a child, maybe somebody you work with at work, maybe an employee, and you've got to show them how to do something. And you get to the point, because you show them how to do it once, then the second time, then the third time, And pretty soon you make this statement. What is it? You know what? It's going to be easier if I just do it. Anybody ever said that? You know what? (laughs) I can be honest. It takes me longer to fix what you've been doing than for me to just do it on my own. As an employee, if you're hearing that, that's bad news. Don't be like a horse or a mule. But as Christians, what have we been taught to do, a lot of us? Well, I'm supposed to come down and be given a list of 10 things I'm not supposed to do anymore and the 10 things I'm supposed to do. Somebody needs to tell me what to do. What we discover from the Bible is absolutely not. Why in the world as sons and daughters of the king do we feel we're supposed to be led around by bit and bridle? Do this. Don't do this. This is what you're supposed to do. This is what you're not supposed to do. That's not what these kinds of stewards in this parable are like. This king takes a lot of money, puts it in their hands and says, I'll be back. Have a good time. Because he tries their judgment he trusts they know him well enough to do the kinds of things that ought to be done a relationship with God in faithful service to kingdom work is a willingness to say what does it look like with what God has given me my stuff the relationships I have in my life my work my neighbors uh, my family the influence I have in my community uh, the successes I've had and the failures I've had What does it look like in my particular situation as a son or daughter of the king? What does faithful stewardship look like? He said, well, it'll be a lot easier if you just give me the top 10 things Christians are supposed to do. Well, that's a bit and a bridle in my opinion. 
But maybe we could seek the Lord in prayer and say, Holy Spirit, by your word, I want to know you well enough that when I wake up in the morning, it's not a list of do's or don'ts. It's what does a faithful son and daughter of the king do today? How How do I start my day? How do I end my day knowing that willing obedience is rewarded? How often did the king check in on these two, especially the first two servants? He didn't. He said, I want you to do what it looks like for you to be faithful in my kingdom. And that is an act of faith. Well, what if I do it wrong? What if I go to serve the Lord and I do it wrong? What will happen? Certainly you will be smitten or smited. I have yet. One of these days, somebody is going to actually send me the parts of speech or the the verb declension for smite, and I'm I'm not going to memorize it. It's more fun to do it wrong. Well, certainly God's going to smack me upside the head if I serve him wrong, won't he? Have you met him? How gracious is God? Oh, my lands. It's unbelievable. Can you imagine what you've gotten away with? I mean, think about it. Think of all the stuff you've done. You say, well, I didn't come to church to think about all the stuff I've done wrong. Well, it's on. Think of all the stuff he's just, just forgiven. How many times if you would have been caught, would you be cooked? Oh, it got quiet. How many times, if you would have been caught, not only God did God see, was he gracious enough that you didn't get caught? He just decided in that case, you know, the best way to work on you is just in your heart. Sometimes you do get caught, and he's going to use it that way too. But how many times you just poured out his grace? Well, I don't even know if I should ask this. Now you want me to, okay, fine. If everybody really knew, how many of us would still be married? What if, what if what we're really like was known, right? And God is that gracious that clods like me still are married. Of course, I've been given a great wife, right? But it's also, God is just that good. God has just been that gracious. He's not sitting in heaven with an abacus. I don't know why an abacus. Tallying up what you've done good today. And then at the end of the day, he's going to see how much he's supposed to smack you upside the head. Actually, the biblical balance sheet is a little different at the end of the day he's he's just giddy with how much grace and mercy do i get to pour out on you today how much do i get to glorify myself in your life by just saying yeah it's forgiven again so what does it mean in our life to serve the king by faith knowing this is the kind of king we serve Quick question, then we're going to finish the sermon, or the, the second half of the parable. We're not finishing the sermon. Simmer down. We've got a ways to go. Quick question, just file this one away. What has God given you? There's a lot of different things you could put in the category of what has God given you. Of course, he's given us stuff, money, houses, cars, jobs, all these kind of things. But there's a, way more than that. Life is not the, our stuff. God has given us relationship. He's given us children. He's given us grandchildren. He's given spouses. He's given us relatives. He's given us a place to work or a community to be a part of. He's given us neighbors. He's given us organizations to be a part of. He's given us influence. Some of us have places where we have influence, where people listen to us and they heed what we have to say. What has God given you? There are three servants. Two of them take what they were given and put it to work. One buries it in the ground. And this is just my my only question for this moment. And then we're going to follow up at the end. Is your stuff buried? Or is it being put to work for the kingdom? That's the question this parable wants us to ask. God has put 
a, a bunch of things, not just stuff, but a whole life in our hands. And the question this parable wants us to ask, is it buried or is it being put to work on behalf of this great king? Kingdom work is an act of faith. Okay, let's go back to the parable. Kingdom work. What was the second part? Can't remember. Kingdom work is rewarded. Apparently he didn't remember either. He who had received five talents came forward and he brought five talents more. So the master showed up. The one who had been given five talents came forward. He says, Master, you gave me five talents. I have made five talents more. And the master says, man, nice job. Come on in. I'm a happy camper. You put my stuff to work because you made five. All right. Second servant comes up to the master and says, you gave me two, two talents. Here's two more. And the master said, why didn't you make five? Get out of here. No, he didn't say that. And importantly, he didn't say that. Master says, oh, man. Hey, hit it out the park. Get in here. Enter into your master's joy. The, the third servant comes up. I'm trying to find it here. Sorry. Here's what he says in verse 24. Master, I knew you to be a hard man. Reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid. I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, here's your stuff. And his master said, you're a lazy bum. Get out of here. Kingdom work is re- rewarded as the master settles up with his servants. There was a, a company that was started in the Bay Area some time ago. I forget when. Maybe you've heard of it. I, not everybody has. Um, it's called Facebook. Is there, are you familiar with this company? So it was early on. They had just moved into a, an actual headquarters. So it was fairly early on. And they had hired a painter to come and, and paint their headquarters. And it was a graffiti kind of artist. He was well-known at the time. Probably is still today. And they say, how much will you uh, charge us to paint our building inside now? It was all your fancy graffiti-style urban artwork. And he said, yeah, 60000 bucks." They're like, absolutely not. Absolutely, that's ridiculous. 60000 bucks. Besides, we don't have $60,000 in cash. He goes, well, fine, find another artist, because that's what it's going to be, right? They say, listen, I tell you what, we don't have any cash. We'll give, you, we'll give you stock. And now at the time, Facebook was like, the Facebook is what it was called. And so I know MySpace was still killing it. And uh, he's like, I don't know. I don't know. It's kind of a risk. Fine, I'll do it. When, uh, when they went public, his stock, which he had retained, was worth $200 million. So that's, a, I, I've done a little painting, not artwork painting, but one color on a wall. I, and I'm pretty good at it. I'm really good at not getting it on the carpet, and I can cut in pretty well. Um, I've never been paid $200 million to paint anything. I just got to be honest with you. This guy got paid $200 million to paint Facebook's headquarters. I, that is a disproportionate pay for the work that he did. And what we need to recognize in the kingdom work being rewarded is the reward of the kingdom is disproportionate to the work that was done. When the king settles up, he acknowledges that the servants are in his kingdom and in his joy, and he rewards them with much. In fact, the phrase in the parable is, you have been faithful with a little, which a talent isn't a little, but the king, to the king it is, you have been faithful with a little, you will have much. In fact, when the rebellious servant has his talent taken from him, what does the, the master say? Give it to the servant who has what? Ten. 
What does this mean happened with what the the servants have been working with? What happened is he took his money, he invested, he had 10, he gives it to the master, and the master goes, oh, no, you keep that stuff. I got plenty. Come into my kingdom, into my joy. The reward is disproportionate to the work that was actually done. How much money did the king or the master make off of these servants? Zero. Because he gave it all back to the servants as reward. Over in the parallel um, parable, you try saying that at home after. Parallel parable. Luke chapter 19, for each of the money, over there it's minas and not talents. The one who, he had five minas, he turned it into ten. And what did the king give him in that parable? Here, have these ten cities. Have these 10 cities as a reward. So the reward that is received for faithfulness does not make any sense for what is done. You go to your kid after church and you say, you know what? I want you to do the dishes. And the kid says, oh, sure, I'll do the dishes. I'll knock that out. I say, yeah, I'll give you a little something after. The kid does the dishes, comes up to you. Well, you said I might get a little something. Can I have a bag of chips or some Skittles or what? What can I have? He said, well, no, let me write you a check for $200,000. What's the kid's going to say? Yeah, that's awesome, but it doesn't make any sense. It's disproportionate. Nobody gets paid $200,000 to do the dishes on the afternoon. But that's the way the kingdom works. The rewards that are received by faithful servants are disproportionate, overly generous for the, the work actually done. The reward we will receive as faithful servants of the king are not equitable. It isn't fair. The last thing we should ever want is for the kingdom to be fair. Because it's always unfair to our advantage. The king that we serve is overly generous. The work he has called us to is infinitesimal. Small by comparison to what he's planning to grant unto us. The kingdom work is an act of faith. But we have to understand the reward of serving the kingdom far outweigh what he could possibly uh, cost. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, if you want to turn there. Let's talk a little bit more about rewards. Because it's a theme that's carried throughout the scripture. Here's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. According to the grace of God given me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. So he's saying each of us need to take care how we're building on the foundation, which is, according to this passage, the foundation Christ laid. If anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hair, straw, each one's work will be made known on the day of the Lord because it will be revealed by fire. So he's using a figure of speech here. He's saying, listen, you're going to work in the kingdom of God. Some of the things we're going to do are really useful, and those are going to be, the reward will be clear because on that day, that which has value will be revealed by fire. If you had a pile of diamonds mixed with hay and you lit them on fire, what's going to remain? The diamonds are going to remain because they they don't burn up that easy. And the hay is going to be gone. So he's going to say, what he's saying here is, let's serve God to maximize our reward and have as much as possible uh, endure into eternity, into the kingdom of God. If the work anyone has built on the foundation survives, he's going to receive that great reward. If anyone's work is burned up, well, it's burned up. So what is it that makes something reward worthy? Here's what it is. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. And you can write these down and read them later. If I'm going too fast. This is how one should regard us. As servants of Christ 
and stewards of the mystery of God. Hear that word again, steward, like the servants. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. So what's the first mark of reward that will maintain into eternity? What's the first mark? Faithfulness. So a steward needs to be found faithful. That's what the waiting is for. We are found faithful in the waiting. Faithful to serve even when there's no apparent near-term benefit. We don't serve for a payoff. We serve for eternal reward, which means faithfulness, even when it doesn't seem like anything's paying off. Verse 3. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. Paul says... I am not aware of anything against myself, but I'm not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. So what's the second element of reward that remains? The first is faithfulness. The second one is the purposes of the heart. I am rewarded not merely for what I do. In fact, the Bible makes it clear I am rewarded for why I do what I do. Uh, Work in the kingdom that endures is work that is motivated by the king's motivation. And what motivates our king? Humble service to others in the kingdom. That's Philippians chapter 2, 5 through 11. The king comes, humbles himself, becomes nothing, is obedient even to death, death on the cross. So the reward is those things we do by God's grace with the same motivation as the king, which is simply this, serving others with no anticipation of return. Humble service to the least of these, as Jesus might say. Each one will receive his commendation from God. All will be rewarded based on motivations, Only God judges. Does anyone know what motivates other people? No, it's impossible to know the the actual motivations of the heart. In fact, Paul is actually even saying, it's hard for me to even know what my motivations are. I'm going to leave that in God's hands and seek to serve the Lord in faithfulness. So kingdom work is rewarded, but kingdom work is that work which is done in faithfulness, motivated by the purposes of the king. Okay, you want to look at another verse? Good, Romans 12, 3. Man, you guys, I'm going to keep going. Here's what it says, Romans 12, 3. I love this. For by grace given to me, I say to every one of you, you should not think more highly than you ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith God has assigned. Pay attention there. Each one is given gifts and abilities based on God's intention. The one servant got five talents, one got two talents. Why? That's what the master wanted. Well, I don't like how he did it. No one cares. It's the master's stuff. He gets to do whatever he wants with his stuff. So he can give each of us faith in accordance with his purpose, resources in accordance with his purpose, gifts in accordance with his purpose. Some more, some less. Well, I wish I had more. You can take it up with the king, but that's not your job. Our job is faithfulness with the measure he has put into our hands. Not to sit around, well, I wish I had it like that person. It's to say, well, this is what God has given by his grace. My job is just faithfulness with what he has granted. Everyone is not the same. 
But each has a calling to faithfulness, whether given little or given much. Somebody asked Francis Chan, you heard of Francis Chan? Somebody asked him once, why is he so effective in preaching? This was a testimony I heard him give one time. He says, I have no idea, but I tell you what, I get up and talk, people listen. And people show up and they just, they want to hear it. And in some ways he was being arrogant. In other ways he was saying, I don't have any idea what's happening. I stand up, I talk, they show up and they come forward and they get saved. Right? But I could give you a list as long as my arm of pastors I know, friends of mine, who get up and they preach and all 12 of the people listening. I mean, six of them stay awake. I mean, you guys are doing pretty good here today. It's a little warm in here, a little late in the day. And you say, well, why? Why would God do that? that? That's not the question. Is one better than the other? Is Francis Chan showing up and a thousand people getting saved and another person showing up and teaching to six people? Is one better than the other? Absolutely not. The question is, what am I going to do with what God has put in my hands? Am I going to seek faithfulness? And when we stand before the Lord, he will determine the motivations of the, of the heart. I've said this before, and I'll say it again. When we get to heaven and we see the heavy hitters, my guess is we're not going to recognize any of them. It's people who are serving humbly in small, out-of-the-way places, day in and day out. So let's keep after it. All are not the same. Some are given little, some are given much. Our call is to faithfulness. Okay, let's look at the third servant real quickly as a way of ending the introduction to the sermon. Third servant. Master, I knew you're a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered seed. One principle, all three of these claim to know know the master. Two of them showed they knew the master by what they did. One claimed to know the master with what he said. I knew what what you're like. The other two didn't have to yammer on and on about what the master was like. They acted in accordance with what the master was like. This guy says, listen, I know what you're like. You're a big fat meanie. You collect profit where you don't even put any effort in. And look what the master says to him. You wicked and slothful servant. Oh, you knew what I was like? Then you should have put my money in the bank. So the master calls him out. He says... Two things. Number one, you're wrong. You don't know me. Number two, you don't even think you do. You know you're lying. If what you're saying is true, you would have behaved differently. If what you're saying is true, if you truly believed I'm just a big fat meanie, you would have taken my money and invested it in a one-year CD. What are those paying now? I think .00076% over 10 years. Yeah, one-year CD paying over 10 years. I know it's that bad. He didn't even do that. He buried it in the ground. So what is the master saying? This has nothing to do with what you think I am like or not like. This has everything to do with the fact you don't like the master. That's the issue here. He doesn't like the master. He has a disdain for the master. If what you're saying is true, you would have put money in the bank. Since we all know you're lying, the fact is your heart has been made known. You just hate the master because you wish you were the master. And that's the arrogance of the human heart. The problem is we don't like God being God because we think we should have that job. And that's where this servant is. The issue wasn't that he had finally figured out the master and the other two were too naive to call a spade a spade. The fact is he just didn't like the master and he was going to do whatever he could to undermine his master. 
And the fact is he hated the master. He wanted no relationship with the master. And so the master obliges that request, casts him aside. And that's exactly what do we call that when you are separated from God by your own choice? That's called death. And you experience judgment. And that's exactly what this servant wanted. Kingdom work is an act of faith. Kingdom work is rewarded. Okay, last verse, and then we're going to conclude. I'm honest. 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 7. Now, there are lots of different gifts, but there's one spirit. There are a variety of service, but the same Lord. There are lots of activities, but it is the same God who empowers everyone. Verse 7. To each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. One is given wisdom, another one is given knowledge, another one is given faith, another one is given healing, working miracles, prophecy, different kinds of tongues, interpretation. It is the Holy Spirit who apportions to each according to his will. So first thing I want to rattle around in your head a little bit. Every single one of us is given a gift by God to serve in his kingdom. And here's the question. What is your gift and is it buried? That's, that's the simple question of the parable. God has given each one of us, by His Spirit, a gift to use in our communities, in our churches, in our families. And the question is, is it earning a return on behalf of a king we love, or have we buried it for whatever reason? Where is our gift working? And the, the parable wants us to ask that question of ourselves. Is the gift God has given me being used? If not, why not? A buried gift is an affront to the king. All of us have given a gift, and the question we have to ask ourselves, is it being used? Okay, second thing um, to have you think about. Uh, The Bible ends with this phrase, come soon, Jesus. Anybody want Jesus to come soon? Yeah, let's do this, right? They didn't yesterday. I don't know if you noticed. Why? Every day he doesn't return. Let's keep yearning for his return. The Bible calls us to do that. But every day he doesn't return is an act of his grace to give us one more day of profitability for the kingdom. It's not one more day of misery. It's not one more day of seeing if we can handle it. It's one more day that we can earn a return for his kingdom by faithful stewardship of what he has given us. It's an act of grace that we get one more day today. To see what service to the kingdom looks like. Let's use it for his glory. Finally, this. Again, I don't mean to offend you. Which obviously means I do. The Bible is quite clear. Serving the king is motivated by, or not serving the king is motivated by one simple thing. You see this in the parable. Whether or not we like the master. So we may not say it out loud. We may not, it's not something we would write down or ever admit openly. But the fact is simply this. Failing to engage to serve the king in his kingdom is a way of saying I don't have a lot of affection for the king. When we have a heartfelt affection for the king, we are moved to serve him by serving others in ways that brings him glory. So when we're passive, when we sit back, when we say, no, it's somebody else's job, I've done my time, whatever we might say, it's a lack of affection for the king. And I know we love Jesus, so the thing is, since we love Jesus, what does that mean we should do? Let's get after it. What has God given us? How can we use it to turn a return for the king and his kingdom for his great glory?